0: Kathy, good morning to you all. Welcome today. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you're with us as well. Before we get into our message time, I have just uh, several family announcements to make you aware of. First, uh, a sad one. Our brother Steve Hammond, a longtime member here at Garden Way, went home to be with the Lord this past Friday after a long battle with a brain tumor. So Steve is now in the presence of the Lord, and we rejoice for that, but we miss him and we grieve with his family. His brother Daryl is here today, and we just pray and ask you to pray for their extended family during this difficult time. A couple of other things to let you know about as we Uh, begin to gear up for the holiday season, first Thanksgiving and then Christmas. As you might imagine, things are different this year as they often are during 2020. And so we're trying to adapt as quickly as we can. Uh, So this year, rather than our uh, normal type of Thanksgiving basket program that we've run for about the last 15 years, we're gonna do things a little bit differently. I'll share some more about that next week. But I do wanna just let you know that the need is still great. And we've committed to our local elementary school Holt Elementary to provide a a good number of Thanksgiving baskets for families in need. And so we will be taking our annual Thanksgiving offering coming up on the 15th. So that'll take place on uh, November 15th. So I just want to give you a heads up about that. And then into the Christmas season. And and we have traditionally had a uh, fundraising concert for Holt Elementary in order to fund all of the uh, necessary uh, purchases for their holiday giveaway program. And uh, they are still going to try and do that program this year. So they're uh, still looking to us for support, as you might imagine. We're not going to be able to put on a concert. So again, we will be taking an offering in December. So those are our two annual offerings that we take to give away to our community. And so I encourage you to be thinking about that for both November and December. So those are our announcements for today. Today is the first Sunday of November, and as we have been doing all through the year, the first Sunday we have a special prayer called the Prayer for 2020. And so I want to invite you to pray with me the Prayer for 2020. Let's pray together. Lord, come and kindle in us a mighty flame so that in our church many will see the wonders of God and live forever to praise your glorious name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are continuing in our series through the Psalms of Ascent, and today we come to Psalm 126. If you'd like to turn there in your Bible, that's where we'll be in a few moments. I want to start, though, by letting you know this. Did you know that there is a special conference dedicated to boring stuff? Appropriately, it is called the Boring Conference. The conference website claims it is a one-day celebration of the mundane, the ordinary, the obvious, and the overlooked. James Ward, creator of the blog I Like Boring Things, launched this idea in 2010. Speakers at this conference have addressed topics such as sneezing, toast, Sounds made by vending machines, yellow lines, inkjet printers of 1999, how to cook elaborate meals with the equipment found in your hotel room, and similarities between 198 of the world's national anthems. Sounds a little boring, doesn't it? Actually, the conference has been a sellout hit because... It has a serious aim, and that is to take subjects often considered trivial and pointless, but when examined more closely, reveal themselves to be deeply fascinating. As Mr. Ward explained, the basic idea is that the theme needs to be boring, but the content shouldn't be. There has to be something in the topic that a speaker with a real enthusiasm for it can bring out and make interesting. And he says, in fact, most things, if you look at them in enough detail, can become fascinating. There's almost always something there. I'll take Mr. Ward's word for that. But that made me think, in the same way, the Bible calls us to a whole lifestyle of finding joy in and giving thanks for the ordinary, the often overlooked things and people and places that are actually gifts from our creative and wonder-filled God. Today we're continuing on this journey through the Psalms of Ascent, and these are songs for the road. These are written by the ancient Hebrew people, and they were often sung on the way to Jerusalem. You might remember that Jerusalem was built on a hilltop, and to visit the holy city was an upward climb for those from all the towns and surrounding villages in the nation of Israel. And the Jewish people often went to Jerusalem during feast days to make sacrifices or visit the temple or celebrate the holy festivals that happened throughout the year. Psalm 126 was likely written by someone returning to Jerusalem. After the exile in Babylon, the end of the Jewish captivity was not accomplished overnight. There were tussles with enemies within the land, giving rise to the need for more prayers for deliverance in each phase. And so this psalm that we're going to look at today is also a song for the modern church, for God's people in every generation. The joy of salvation, which is ours in Christ Jesus, is the greatest deliverance of all. Beyond that, many of us have experienced the joy of divine intervention in our lives from time to time. Perhaps it was related to your health or your finances or answers to prayer on behalf of a family member or your community or your church or your friends. And in that, we can find real joy. So I want to invite you to read together with me Psalm 126. Let's read this. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will rape with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Psalm 126. It is a song of joy. And to begin with, I want to read just a couple of quotes that I found about joy by two great theologians of past years. One is C.S. Lewis, and he wrote this. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the dirt because he cannot imagine... What is meant by the offer of a holiday at the seashore? We are far too easily pleased. You find that to be true in your life at times? You're far too easily pleased? We often are satisfied with all kinds of things that really don't give true, lasting joy. Another theologian, Eugene Peterson, says it this way. The enormous entertainment industry in our land is a sign of the depletion of joy in our culture. Society is a bored, gluttonous king employing a court jester to divert it after an overindulgent meal. But that kind of joy never penetrates our lives. You ever find that to be true in your life? So much of the joy that people seek in our world is a temporary escape from boredom on the one hand or suffering on the other. Well, let's consider our psalm this morning, Psalm 126, a psalm of joy. But when you consider the circumstances for the people of Israel at the time, you wouldn't think that the people would be very joyful. There's, as I said, a good chance that this psalm was written after the exile in Babylon and before the restoration of Jerusalem that you can read about that begins to take place in the book of Nehemiah, where he led the efforts to rebuild the city. The Babylonian captivity of Israel was a horrific period of time. Their nation was destroyed. Their freedom was lost. There was violence and rape in the streets cannibalism, and a 600-mile forced march across the desert to a foreign nation to be enslaved as captives. That's really not a time of joy at all, is it? And then finally, when God does deliver them from captivity decades later, they return to Jerusalem only to find it in utter ruin. And so the people of Israel are surrounded by hard times. There's captivity behind them and the need for restoration ahead of them. Behind them and before them, there are times of sorrow and trial. We can even see this in how the psalm was structured. The first three verses are in the past tense, referring to that time of Babylonian captivity. And the last three verses are in the future tense. Notice how they pray for restoration to return. But what I want you to see is the middle of the psalm, where we find the words, and we are filled with joy. Those words are in the present tense. The joy that they know, the joy that they express and pray for in this psalm is one that they recognize comes only from God, not from the circumstances around them. In verse 3, it says, The Lord has done great things for us, but in the middle of it all, in the middle of it all, despite what they faced, they understand they must be filled with joy, and so they cry out for it. For the people of Israel, joy is not dependent on circumstances. This was also true in the early church. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 5. He says, we also rejoice in our sufferings. In his translation of the Bible called The Message, Eugene Peterson puts it this way in Romans 5.3. He, he pens it, we continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in by our troubles. I love that. Paul finds joy in suffering. Paul could say in hard times, along with the Israelites in our psalm, we are filled with joy. Can you say that? Even when your circumstances don't seem to justify it? Joy, you see, is not about circumstances. Circumstances. And so, now, the question we might ask is this. How can we have joy? Where does this kind of joy come from? What is the source of this joy? Now, we already know that many in our world, even some who are believers, try and get joy from all kinds of places. But, it doesn't last, does it? And the temporary joy that we seek to achieve for ourselves definitely doesn't last through the difficult times. If money is your joy, for example, what happens when you lose your job? If your career ambition is your joy, what happens if you're no longer able to work? How can we have a joy that outlasts our circumstances and doesn't depend on our situation? These questions bring us to the the second truth in this text, and that is that true joy comes from God. It's not something that we can get for ourselves. Take a look at verses 4 through 6 in our text this morning. Here is a prayer that God will restore his people and that their weeping will turn into shouts of joy. Now, We don't generally pray for something that we can do for ourselves, do we? These people know that only God can give them true joy. The writer of the psalm uses this wonderful image, the streams in the Negev. And it's a great image for joy as a gift from God. The Negev is the south of Israel. It's a vast desert. And the streams of the Negev are a network of ditches that are, that are cut into the soil by wind and by rain and by erosion. And for most of the year, they are just baked dry in the sun. But once in a while, a sudden rain will make the desert ablaze with blossoms. Here we have a picture of the Negev. Go ahead and put that up, Merlene. Right after a rain, the blooms come about with suddenness. After a long, dry period, God brings beauty from ashes. With suddenness in our own lives, after years of barren waiting, we are interrupted by God's invasion of grace in our own lives. Joy is a gift of God. It's like the beautiful flowers that bloom in the desert. And when we experience joy as God's people, we are like those in our psalm where it says in verse 1, we were like those who dream. Think about this for a minute. Joy from God is like a dream come true. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, in verse 6, Paul uses this phrase, joy inspired by the Holy Spirit. You see, the cause of the Thessalonians' joy that Paul refers to here in this verse is not about circumstances, but it's about God. The source of joy is his Holy Spirit. The Spirit generates this joy in believers, like the early Thessalonians, and like us, when we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul reminds us in Galatians 5 that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. What he means then is it is a natural byproduct of following Jesus. When we become followers of Jesus, God's Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And the natural outflow of that Spirit ought to be the fruit. And Part of the fruit is joy. And so we understand that joy is never in our power. Only God can give real joy. Well, if joy is a fruit of the Spirit, and it is only something that God can give, then what does that tell us about joy? And that leads us to our our third truth in the text. And that is that joy is Jesus-specific. Joy is Jesus-specific. And what I mean here is that we're not talking about any sort of joy. Joy. We're talking about the joy of being in the kingdom of God. We're talking about the joy of those who follow Jesus. We're talking about sharing the joy of fellowship with others who follow Jesus. Look at the reason for joy in our psalm this morning. The Lord has done great things for us. You see, joy comes from God. And our joy is fueled by recognizing what God has done and what he is doing in our lives. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter called the letter to the Philippians. And scholars today often call it the letter of joy. And in in that letter, there are three sources of joy. The first is fellowship with the Philippians. Paul's relationship with the church that he founded was a huge source of joy to him. The second is the spread of the gospel. Paul takes great joy when the good news of the kingdom of God takes hold in the lives of more and more people. And then the third source of joy for Paul is what he calls his participation in Christ. His participation in Christ. What does that mean? Well, Paul's joy is in Jesus himself. Paul's joy is being able to give up his own life for Jesus. Paul understands that there is nothing greater than a relationship with Jesus Christ and with being united with him in faith. And that's why he says in Philippians 3.8, I regard everything as loss Because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul's greatest joy is knowing Jesus. And all the other joy in his life springs from that truth. And that's why Paul finds joy even in suffering. When that suffering comes as a result of his relationship with Christ. He knows that this is the true road to glory. And so if joy is the fruit of the Spirit then we experience joy as we live by the Spirit. True joy comes from a life surrendered to Jesus. And so our joy comes from God as we follow Jesus and make his kingdom our priority. When we willingly give up our own lives so that Jesus can be our life. The more that we do this, the more that we give ourselves to Christ, the more that the Spirit forms his character in us. And joy, then, is a byproduct of being a disciple of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we can't practice joy. And so this is the fourth truth in our text. Joy is something that we practice. The people of Israel sang Psalm 126 on their journey to Jerusalem. These words were a part of their corporate worship. And if joy is not the result of circumstances, then we can be pretty sure that they didn't only sing this song when they felt joyful. Let me ask you this question. Do we only praise God when we feel happy? Or when things are going well? Or the way that we prefer well, that wasn't the practice of Israel. That wasn't the practice of Paul. In fact, Paul encourages the Philippians to practice rejoicing. In Philippians 4.4, 4, he makes this very famous statement. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And you can probably finish it with me. And again, I say what? Rejoice. We are called to be a people of praise and a joyful people. And we can Because our praises and our joy depend not on circumstances, but on God. And even if we find it hard to see how, as followers of Jesus, there really are always reasons to rejoice. Let's just take a moment. I want to just encourage you to to shout out, raise your hand if you need to, shout out some reasons that God's people can be rejoicing in 2020. It's been a tough year. So let's focus on ways that we can rejoice. What do you rejoice for? Go ahead and say it. Rejoicing for what? Jesus is coming. That's a sure and certain hope. Jesus is coming. We can rejoice in that. What else? Have a home up the beauty of the morning I heard. Wonderful. What else? Bill? I have a home up there. We have a home in heaven. A spot guaranteed for us. Wonderful. We can rejoice in that. What else? What else can you rejoice in as God's people? That we can be here today gathering with God's people. What a wonderful thing that is. We could go on and on. There are so many things that we can rejoice for. So many ways to practice joy. But I want to focus on just one. And it is this. It is this. Joy is a witness to the activity of God. When we rejoice, we are witnessing God's work in this world. Look at verse 2 of our psalm this morning. What does it say? Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Then it was said among the nations. You see, other, witness, other nations had witnessed the joy of the Hebrew people even in the midst of captivity. And they recognized that God was doing a mighty work in their life. Now let's apply that to us. Our joy is a witness to the world around us. It is proof to those outside of Christ that there is something to this God that we talk about. One commentator said that joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian. And another said, if you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. I like that. You know, no doubt we all have leaks on occasion. But our joy in such times should be like King David who said, Restore to me, Lord, the joy of your salvation. See, joy is not only God's gift to us in Christ, our joy in Jesus can also become a gift to someone else. Now, as we leave this place today, go out into the world this week, you are going to have multiple opportunities to live in joy. The question is will we embrace these opportunities? For instance, will you live in joy? When your boss is a jerk at work this week? Will you choose to remain joyful when your neighbor irritates you? Will you show joy even when your team loses? Will you choose joy in just a few days when your preferred candidate is not elected? Can you still show joy? You see, despite the circumstances, will we be able to say and to live out this truth, the Lord has done great things for me. Joy is a witness to the activity of God in our life. As we close up, I want you just to consider The word joy. J-O-Y. J stands for Jesus. And Y stands for you. Let's think about that O in the center. The zero. It stands for nothing. You see, joy is when there is nothing between you and Jesus. Our joy increases the less that there is between us and the Lord. So let's pray together that Christ would draw us even closer to himself so that his spirit can do that work in us, producing a joy that fills our mouths with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy so that those around us can say, the Lord has done great things for them. And perhaps then they might come to know that joy as well. Let's pray together. Father, we pray.